Okay, so if you're listening to the recording uh, today, unfortunately, our live service recording uh, failed. So this is sort of a bit of a, a catch-up recording, not quite as exciting as the, the real live version, but um, I think you'll get the general gist of what we were sharing on today as we continued our series in Genesis. Imagine for a moment, uh, I was showing you two seeds. Uh, one is a, uh, a small uh, mandarin tree seed. And I said to you, this seed is going to grow a beautiful fruit tree. If you plant it in the ground, it's going to grow into something that will produce a beautiful orange fruit that you can eat and you can enjoy. And then imagine I showed you this other seed and these seeds are tiny. Uh, you can hardly see them and they seem quite insignificant and I told you that these tiny little seeds would grow weeds and you don't want to plant those because all they're going to do is grow weeds in your garden. Now you've got to just trust me that um, one's going to grow fruit and the other's going to grow weeds. What if someone though who was rather charming and seemed to be quite knowledgeable and maybe a little bit more handsome or attractive than I am. Uh, what if uh, they came to you and said, no, 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 Annette's lying. Uh, that, that seed that she said is going to grow beautiful fruit. No, that's not actually going to grow beautiful fruit. Um, that's going to grow weeds. You really want to plant the other one. That's the one that's going to grow good stuff in your garden. Of course, you'd be faced with a choice, wouldn't you? Would you trust me or would you trust the other person? And for us, a similar choice plays out in our lives and in the lives of human beings countless times since creation, from Adam and Eve to now. And, and quite possibly it's playing out in your life today. And the question is this, do we trust God? Do we trust that his blessing and provision is enough for us? In my life, this has played out in various years over the years, uh, in various ways over the years from you know, when Steve was doing his PhD and I was uh, working and pastoring and there's always that question there, will God provide for me and my family? Will he provide uh, work that is good? Will he provide that income we need? Will he provide for the needs of my children and my husband and myself? Will he provide for our future? And, and I think that question is a question that keeps coming up for us. We are always needing to address this question in our life. I want to say, don't be afraid of it. When something happens in your life that you find difficult, when you find yourself asking, you know, God, do you have these things under control? Will you really provide for me? Can I, can I really expect blessing and provision from you? Do you really care about me, God? When you find yourself asking, you know, do I, do I trust that God will provide for me? When I need to make a choice or a decision, am I choosing to trust God? Or do I take matters into my own hands? It's good to ask yourself these questions. Of course, the problem is that the right answer isn't always clear. 
the way of trusting God is not always obvious. And it's really important that we figure this out because a choice that we make can either lead us towards um, blessing or it can lead us towards sin. Last week, when we looked at Genesis 1 and 2, we looked at who God is and who we are. And we saw that God is good and he makes good things. He creates us in his image, he blesses us, and he gives us the task of filling the earth with his goodness and image. God provided everything humanity needed to thrive and flourish. He provided physically for them. There were plants for food. He provided emotionally for them. Eden was a place of beauty and delight. He provided socially. You know, Adam and Eve are the, the perfect human companions and partners for one another. And of course, he provided spiritually as well. They were in a relationship and um, intimate fellowship with God. He was involved in a hands-on way in their life. And we see, you know, the image of him walking in the garden with them. The key concept from this was that God will provide what is pleasant and good and beneficial for us to live well. He blesses us. He provides us blessing. But, but there's, there's one limit to, to this um, beautiful garden paradise that God provides for his people. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Genesis 2, verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Uh, Adam and Eve are faced with a choice. And, and really, it's a choice we all are given as human beings. There's a real dignity he gives us as people in, in being able to choose. We are living beings who have personhood. And we're not like the plants. We're not like the animals. We are given the dignity of choice. And the choice they are given is this. They can either eat from the tree of life, which uh, represents all the creative power and life of God, God's eternal life, and the receiving of his wisdom. Remember, we're given the task of ruling and caring for the world with God. So we kind of really need his wisdom and his life to be able to do the job, to be able to subdue the earth with his goodness. We need to eat from this tree of life. The other option they're given, though, is not to eat from the tree of good and evil. Okay, so they have a choice, don't they? They can eat from the tree of life or they can eat from the tree of good and bad. And um, that that tree is symbolizes uh, taking authority to do what is good or bad in our own lives. Rather than, than trusting God to provide what is good, we, we kind of uh, take it for ourselves. We determine for ourselves what is good or what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. Rather than trusting God to teach us uh, wisdom and to teach us what is right, we want to take that knowledge for ourselves. We want to get it on our own terms. So Adam and Eve are faced with this choice. Are they going to listen to God and not eat from the tree of good and bad? 
Eating from the tree of life ensures that we live in God's world, God's way, with all of God's life and creative power. There is life found in the tree. But eating from the tree of good and bad is is the opposite. And they're told if, if they eat from it, they will surely die. There's death in that tree. Eating from that tree saying, God, your power and your life, it's not enough. I need something different. I need something else that will make me wise and powerful like you. Eating from the tree of good and bad is looking at all that God has given you and you think it's still not enough. And I wonder for us today, how often we do that too? How often we look at all that God has given us, but it's still not enough. Let's keep reading in Genesis 3. And we see Satan enter the picture and he's in the form of a snake. And if you're wondering why uh, we're thinking this snake is Satan, you could flip through to Revelations chapter 20, verse 3 and have a read of that. And I'll, I'll let you do that on your own. But for now, let's just let's just have a look at Genesis chapter 3. And here we see... Um, in verses 1 to 5, we, we see the serpent and it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So I want us to notice this. The snake, this evil creature, this Satan, he asked the question, did God really say it's a very clever or crafty question, isn't it? And it's aimed at getting Eve to doubt God's goodness and his word. Notice that the snake doesn't come straight out and say, hey, you know, why don't you disobey God? He's not that obvious, is he? Getting Eve to doubt that she understood God correctly is, is Satan's aim here. Have you ever been in a place where you believe in God's promises to you, but you start to question them. You, you start to wonder whether perhaps you've misheard God. You start to second guess. And for me, I, I, I know my call to pastoring is something I have in the past regularly been challenged about. There's the whispering, isn't there? Hey, did God really say, did God really call you to that? I get challenged about it less regularly now than I did before because I've learned how to say no and I've learned how to recognize um, the, the, the lying voice of the enemy. But he wants us to, to doubt God's promises to us. And of course, the second thing he's doing here 
is he's twisting the truth of what God said and making him out to be a liar. Satan's saying, no, you're not really going to die. In fact, you'll become like God, he says. You'll, you'll know all and, and you'll live forever. And, you know, you want that, don't you? God doesn't want that, but you want that. Of course, the irony here is that, that um, Adam and Eve are like God. They've been made in his image. The irony is that God has provided a way already for them to never die, to be full of God's wisdom, to be full of his life and his creative power. God's provided that already in the tree of life. Everything Adam and Eve could want is found in the garden, in the tree of life. It's found in God himself. They are already blessed. But the snake gets them to doubt this blessing. God's not really blessing you. God doesn't really want to bless you. God's holding back on you. Do you feel today like maybe God is holding back from you? I wonder if you, you feel like God's not really looking after you, not really providing for your needs and, and your desires. I feel like that sometimes. I feel frustrated when God doesn't seem to be giving me what I um, think I deserve and what I think I need and what I think I desire. And I see problems in my life and I see lack in my life instead of seeing his provision and his purpose. And of course, this is more a problem to do with my attitude than it is God's provision, isn't it? It's got more to do with me wanting to define what I think is good and right for my life than me in childlike faith trusting God to do what is good and right on my behalf. God just tells me to eat from the tree of life and I'll be fine. And, and how could I be tempted to think that the tree of life is not enough to sustain me and cause my life to thrive. It's crazy. Let's take a look at chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The woman looks at the fruit and she sees it's, it, it looks pretty good. It's appealing to her. Um, it's desirable, it's pleasant, and, and she's faced with a choice. Does she say no to this thing that seems so pleasant and desirable? You know, this thing, this, this being wise in her own terms, it, it seems like a good thing, doesn't it? Getting wisdom. Surely that's what God wants for me. But God has said that it's off limits. So she could say no to that desirable thing, or she could say yes to that that desire and she could eat of that fruit and in doing so she says no to God and and in doing so she's rejecting wisdom on God's terms and Eve's choice and it's also our choice is either to say yes to God 
or yes to ourselves. There's, there's no other options for us. There's no other choices on the agenda. It's either yes to God or yes to ourselves. There's no third option. You can't sit on the fence here. A, a yes to me is actually a no to God. And a yes to God is a no to me. There's no other options. All of us, every single one of us are faced with this choice. Will we say yes to God? Will you today say yes to God or will you go after wisdom? And, and will you go after the satisfaction of your desires and gratifying yourself on your own terms? Because here's the thing, sin is usually desirable in some way. It, it's, it's usually quite appealing. I mean, if it wasn't appealing, we wouldn't do it, would we? It, it usually um, looks like it could be good for us. Looks like something that we want. And the reason for that is, is that, that sin actually appeals to legitimate desires that we have. But it looks to satisfy those legitimate desires in unhealthy ways. So, for example, sex, it's a legitimate desire. But when we try and satisfy it, our sexual needs through adultery or pornography, that is an illegitimate way of satisfying those needs. And so it is sin. Perhaps you've noticed that in your life. That, that sin feels, feels good, it's desirable somehow. You know, an argument makes us feel powerful. Gossip makes us feel full of knowledge. Hate makes us feel justified and right. Stealing makes us feel like we get what we're entitled to. Idolatry makes us feel loved and needed and wanted. It can be hard sometimes to pick if something is wrong because it, it feels so right. And I think that's why it's not always helpful to let our decisions be based on things like feeling peace about it. Because something can feel like the right thing, but it can be so very, very far from what God really wants for you. We must let God shape the desires of our heart. The choice to trust God for his provision isn't always clear. We can think that something will satisfy us and answer our legitimate desires, but perhaps we have been tricked. And when I'm faced with these sorts of big choices or tricky decisions and, and I'm not sure what the right, right choice is and, and I have really strong desires, but I don't trust them on their own. Those desires aren't enough on their own to, to get me to make a decision, especially if they're out of the blue, um, you know, uh, maybe emotions of, of anger or, or fear. That, that sends a warning bell for me straight away that something's not quite right. And in that situation, what I do is I invite God into my feelings and thoughts and I ask him to steer and guide me. I say, Lord, I need you to enter into these emotions, enter into this desire right now. I invite you into this space, Lord Jesus. I just ask that you guide the desires of my heart, Lord. I ask that you give me your wisdom in this situation. And, and there's actually a situation in my life right now that I'm doing that very thing. 
So we've seen the story of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. We see this little progression from blessing to sin to curse. Blessing, sin, and now curse. Because the effects of sin is an undoing of blessing. The effects of sin is an undoing of blessing. The things that were once a blessing for Adam and Eve actually become a source of brokenness and difficulty. And we can see here, as we continue, we'll see that there are some quite natural consequences um, that, that outwork themselves in relation to the sin. And of course, this is what they choose when they move out of God's natural provision for them. When they choose to plant the weed seed, what happens? Well, it grows weeds. The first thing we see happen is that we see that their identity becomes broken. Let's read chapter 3, verse 7. They've just eaten of the fruit. And their eyes, of the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And of course, if we had a quick look back at chapter 2, verse 25, we see that this idea of being naked is linked to um, shame. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So their identity is broken and they experience shame. Uh, the second thing they experience is fear. Chapter 3, verse 10, and he answered them, I heard you in the garden. And this is when um, God comes and looks for Adam and Eve. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. They're filled with shame. It creates fear in their life. Who they are, the dignity, the worth, the value, it's been destroyed. It's been marred. You know, God, who is the good God and provided good things for them, has now become someone that they hide from and that they're afraid of. And Adam and Eve are filled with shame in the place of dignity. Fear where there was once confidence and security. Their identity has become fractured and broken. The second thing that has become broken are their relationships. And the first one, the relationship between man and woman is broken. Chapter 3, verse 12. God says, uh, you know, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? I commanded you not to. And of course, what does Adam say? He says, the man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. Hey, typical, isn't it? There's blaming of one another. It's not my fault. It was her fault. There's this um, accusing happening. How about verse 16? We see uh, God um, telling them what the consequences of this sin will be. And in verse 16, he says to the woman that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So there's no longer equality in this relationship. Instead of Adam and Eve ruling animals and creation together, man 
now rules over woman. She effectively has become like, um, you know, one of the animals in creation that man is to rule over. She's no longer the suitable partner helper. She's another creature that man will have dominion over. And what was to be good and mutually beneficial, um, sort of a, a marriage partnership between the man and the woman, between the husband and wife as co-workers in this wonderful garden paradise, this is now full of discord and domination and discontent. Their relationship has been fractured. The ESV translation of, of uh, verse 16 says you're says that Eve's desire shall be contrary to her husband, but he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. It, it sort of creates this picture of women wanting one thing, man wanting another, but the man makes the decision by forceful power, by the forceful power that he holds over the woman. And I, I think we see that today, don't we, in, in so many ways. And are you noticing here that there's a, 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 we're losing what it means to be human? There's a, a, a fractured brokenness coming into um, our humanity. We're losing what it means to be human, what it means to be made in God's image. Our identity has been broken. Our relationships between man and woman are broken. Our relationships also uh, to, the, to the earth, to creation, are also fractured and broken. And in verse 17 to 19, we see this. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. There's no longer a harmonious, mutually beneficial care and provision relationship between uh, the people and the planet, whereby humanity cares for the earth and the earth provides good and plentiful food for humanity. What was to be a, a mutually beneficial relationship, what was to be a pleasant part of their calling, now becomes something of toil and pain and difficulty. So their relationship to creation has been broken. And finally, the third relationship that is broken, of course, is their relationship with God. Verse 23 to 24. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, nothing says you're not welcome here like a couple of uh, massive big angels and a flaming sword. There is, there is no way um, Adam and Eve could get back into God's presence if they tried. Um, they've been driven out. And, and of course, this means that they're no longer able to eat from his tree of life. They are banished from living in his presence. 
separated from fellowshipping with him in the cool of the evening. Their relationship with God has been broken. So we see here, Adam and Eve's identity is broken. Their relationships are broken. And finally, their calling is broken. If you remember from chapter one last week, their original calling in Genesis 1.28 was to have offspring, to rule and care for the world together, to fill the earth with God's good image. But having offspring is now going to be painful and difficult. Verse 16, uh, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. So having offspring will be painful and difficult. Caring from the, for the earth, as we've just read, is now going to be something of toil and sweat, and they'll no longer do it together. And then finally, their identity as people made in God's image, full of dignity, full of worth and royal authority is fractured. And instead, it is with this fractured image of God that fear and shame and guilt and sin will be spread over the whole earth. So we have a blessing, we have sin, and it results in a curse, which begs the question, is there any hope here for Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity? Chapter 3, verse 15, is actually considered to be one of the most important special verses in the Bible. There's something really significant about Genesis 3.15, not quite uh, John 3.16 but uh, uh, in its fame, but still nonetheless kind of famous, this verse. Genesis 3.15. Why is that so significant? Why is that verse so important? Well, it is the first time the gospel is mentioned. How amazing is that? Like we think the gospel is only kind of mentioned over in the kind of the, like the second half of the Bible, like in the sequel bit. But here we are only a few pages in and already we get a taste of the gospel. And Genesis 3.15, let's read, let's read it now. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right here, we have a promised restoration of blessing because God promises that evil will be dealt with. Evil will be dealt with. This snake, this serpent, this oppressor, this Satan, he is cursed. Now, I want you to notice humanity is never cursed here. In Genesis 3, we're not cursed. We experience the impact of the curse. But as God's, um, as God's people, as God's creation, we are not actually cursed ourselves. This word here, offspring, it could be translated as seed or as descendant. And, and it represents Satan's family versus Eve's family. So there's the, the offspring or the seed or the descendants of Satan. And then there's the offspring or the seed or the descendants of Eve. And throughout the Bible, 
we see that there are those who are of Satan's family, those who choose to disobey God, who look to be good or to provide for themselves on their own, through their own ways, in their own merits. There are those who disregard God, who choose the world and its culture instead of friendship and relationship with God. And, and we see these people as leaders and as kings and as religious teachers. We see it as nations. We see them as individuals. And we see them today as people just like you and me. 1 John uh, 7 and 8 says this, it says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Right here, from the beginning, the devil has been sinning. And the one who does what is right is righteous but the one who does what is sinful is of the devil is of his line is of his seed is his offspring because the devil has been sinning from the beginning we see hope here god promises that although although there is evil god promises that through eve he will bring someone who will redeem this evil and we see in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to be uh, some sort of battle or altercation whereby Satan is going to bruise this descendant's heel. That is, he, he's going to inflict a non-fatal wound on this descendant. But this descendant is going to crush the head of Satan. That is, inflict a fatal head wound on Satan. Who is this descendant seed who will inflict a fatal blow to the head of evil? Who is it? Let's have a look. Genesis, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, 14 to 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So this is Jesus we're talking about here. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the servant of, service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So let's look also at 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So who is this descendant, this seed who inflict this fatal blow on the head of evil? Well, of course, it's Jesus. And we see here in this passage from Hebrews, in this passage from 1 John, that the reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. If we read a bit further, 1 John 3, 9, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. There's the seed of Satan that brings sin. And then there's the seed 
of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, who lives in us and, and we cannot go on sinning. We, are no, we no longer choose to listen to the voice and the lies of Satan because we have been born into a new family line. We are no longer one of Satan's descendants, but we are now born of God into his family. The seed of his son, Jesus, is planted in us and we are no longer sinners. The curse is dealt with and we now have the, the seed living in us that means we have the power to say yes to God because Jesus says yes to his father and with him living in us, we are able to live in obedience and in relationship with the creator God and we are able to eat from the tree of life once more. How amazing is that? Have you received this seed? Do, do you trust in Jesus as the one who frees you from the word and the words and the works of Satan? Or are you, like Eve did, trying to get the good your own way? Trying to discover wisdom for yourself, not trusting in God's provision for you. Jesus is God's provision for you. He is the tree of life for you to eat from. He is the eternal life of God. But, but, things are still, well, I don't know, they, they still feel a bit like Genesis 3, don't you think? There, there still seems to be kind of the, the curse that we, we have to live with, you know, the broken relationships, the, the struggle with our identity, the broken earth. We we, we live in the waiting and, and we do still experience the effects of the curse daily. And of course, Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25 kind of explains what's going on here. Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, you know, we've got the first fruits of the spirit. We've got the seed living in us, but still we groan, don't we? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved there is the final restoration of earth that we all wait for where the effects of the curse are done away with completely and earth is reset to its original glory and goodness and so one day revelations 21 1 to 5 one day we will see a new heaven and a new earth and 
we will hear a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with him, with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There will be a return to the full and complete blessing. Once again, all of creation will be good and very good. In the meantime, though, in the waiting time, how should we live? But with the power of Jesus, with the seed living in you, I want to say to you today, lean in to the blessing of Genesis 1 and 2 rather than into the curse of Genesis 3. Cultivate the seed of Jesus in your life. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Trust God. Trust that what he gives you is enough. Be content. You know, what are you needing today that you might need to take a step back, sit down and just trust that God will provide for you? You know, make a list, bring it to him in prayer. Secondly, stop trying to discover your own wisdom. In what ways are you, uh, what ways of thinking do you need to let go of and allow God to redefine your thinking and your attitudes? Thirdly, live with a restored identity and calling. You need to uproot shame and guilt and fear from your life because it no longer belongs in your life. You need to live as people who rule and reign and are fruitful in life and see God's image spread across the, the earth. There is a dignity and a worth and a value to you and to your daily life. So you need to live out of that restored identity. You might need to take some, some time aside from the, the hecticness of life to just um, allow God to remind you of your identity and to uh, refresh your identity. You might need to receive some, um, some prayer or some counseling to help you find peace in this area of your life. Finally, make every effort for your relationships to be Genesis 1 and 2 relationships because that's how they should be. That's what should characterize your relationships. If you're married, are there issues in your marriage that need healing? Do you do things that, that bring you together as husband and wife, as partners and helpers, as ones who outwork God's good work together? If there is disharmony and blaming and competition and distrust between you, get it sorted, be proactive, get it fixed. That's not who you are. Lean into the seed, lean into the blessings of Genesis 1 and 2 in your marriage. You know, in Jesus, we are given the gift of enjoying all of these renewed blessings. Don't miss out on enjoying them. This is who you are as the new creation in Christ. The challenge for us today is which seed will we choose to cultivate in our life? Will you choose to cultivate the blessing or the curse, the seed of Jesus or the seed of Satan? Let's pray. 
Lord God, our desire is that Jesus would be cultivated in our life. And we choose to lean into the blessings of Genesis 1 and 2, to lean into the the new life that we have been given through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that the works of sin and the works of Satan have been rendered powerless in our lives. We thank you that we have been adopted into a new family, that we no longer belong to the family of Satan, that Jesus, you came to destroy the devil's work. And I thank you that you give us the ability to um, know what your desires and plans are for us. I thank you that you give us your wisdom to guide our life and to live our life. Lord, we just thank you for who you are and for what you are doing in our life today. Amen.